Brew Strong is brought to you by morebeer.com, where a man can brew like a man. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Sainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Another hey, episode of Brew Strong. I'm here, Jamil Sainashev, with my uh, good buddy, John Palmer. And, mean, yes. Uh, Hi, everybody. <laughs> John, it's good to be back with you in, in the studio and uh, enjoy, yes, <laughs> enjoy another, another session of Brew Strong. Tonight, we're talking about what? Mouthfeel? Mouthfeel it is. Oh, I tell you, mouthfeel, I, I, I tell you, for those of you with sensitive ears, turn down the volume right now. I got I got the ass feel going on. <laughs> and how does that relate to... You, you may what they ask what the ass feel is. So I, I had to be off-site for, for work, these all-day meetings, and I'm not sure of where they got the food or whatever. And, you know... <laughs> I'm sure the peanut butter sandwiches that they gave me was like from discarded peanut butter products from some uh, place that shall be uh, remain unknown out in uh, wherever Georgia. But yeah, in Georgia. But uh, the whole world's been falling out of my ass for like the past three days. Hmm. Consume something, drops out of my ass within an hour. Which came up first, Korea or <laughs> exactly? Pretty much the whole U.S. of A. Hmm. I'll tell you what the A stands for. Oh, so it's it's just been absolute torture, absolute freaking torture. I know, I can tell you you're just thrilled by. This <laughs> I feel like all of a sudden we're like old Jewish guys talking about our ailments. You know, hey, my shrinkta. <laughs> I can use a spritz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's just been brutal, uh, yeah. and uh, so. You probably haven't been able to drink much beer lately, then. No, no, that's not stopping. Oh, okay. Matter of fact, we had a a couple of nice pints with the uh, the brewer from uh, Green Flash out at uh, Triple Rock earlier today. Oh, you know, I'm uh, drinking West Coast IPA right now. That's what we had. We had West Coast IPA, and I had a couple of pints of that, and then I finished uh, Tasty McDowell's pint because he was driving, and uh, so I had like uh, two and a half pints of that. So I'm 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 ripped and ready to go but, right. uh, we're we're uh doing the uh, new jamil show which is uh, uh jamil show can you brew it which is uh clones of different beers and so we were talking with uh uh the brewer at, at green flash about uh how he makes that west coast ipa and we have a great killer clone recipe if you want to make your own west coast ipa or any of the many other uh, beers that we're going to be brewing on that show, we actually we actually talked to the brewers. We 
formulate the recipes. We actually brew the beers, taste them side by side with the commercial example, and see if we can, uh, if we're uh, successful at uh, cloning that beer or not. We, we're living up to the challenge, and we do that all in the air, and we talk about uh, uh, what you can do to clone those great beers. If you have a uh, clone beer, a beer that you want cloned. Uh, clone beer suge- suggestion, you uh, email uh, can you brew it at thebrewingnetwork.com. And speaking of thebrewingnetwork.com, if you get a chance, go to the Brewing Network store, brewingnetwork.com slash store, and uh, there's great Brew Strong shirts. I'm wearing one right now. There's uh, great books in there, uh, Brewing Classic Styles, which uh, John Palmer and I uh, wrote together, and also How to Brew, all signed. And uh, probably Both great books. Design. Yeah, I, I think. And uh, I used to talk about uh, how to brew all the time before you and I uh, joined up on the radio and, and mm-hmm. how great that was. And that will teach you just about everything you need to know about brewing. Uh, take you from beginning to uh, quite advanced. And once you've gotten past uh, the beginning stage and you want to try to brew every single style there is out there and start into some competitions brewing classic styles is the one that's going to give you the pointers and uh, kind of a feel for the for how much of an ingredient you need to add to get the flavors you want in the in certain styles of beer my have you advanced from our our earlier just <laughs> i'm trying <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, over 80 award winning recipes that uh, you can brew just about any style you're looking for. All right, so tonight we're talking mouthfeel, huh? Yep. Okay, so... so whose oh. mouth did you have in mind? <laughs> Palmer has gotten better, hasn't he? Yeah, he's gotten much dirtier. <laughs> uh, it doesn't take you long to dirty people up, Jimmy. I, th- I think we freaking corrupted him. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Schumann's mouth. Why not? Let's use that one. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. Please, 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 please. You've got high standards on this show. <laughs> yeah. Nothing quite so fetid. <laughs> yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. All right. So, uh, John, give me a give me a, a basic understanding. What, I, what is mouthfeel, and why are we talking about it on brewing? I mean, mouthfeel well, for sexual reasons, or, you know, how does it relate to beer, and, and why should I care? Okay, thanks for blowing my train of thought there. But, um, yeah, mouthfeel, it's its one of the categories that uh, beers are judged on in the BJCP. And it, it incorporates uh, several elements. Um, the the foam has a, has a part to play. The amount of carbonation in the beer has a part to play. But um, probably one of the, the real driving factors for those are these other two, you know, uh, carbonation and foam and so on, is what we call the body of the beer. How, you know, what what kind of um, residual gravity it has, and uh, and that and the carbonation play against each other to give you mouthfeel in the beer. Well, how, you know, how does that beer feel in your mouth when you? Just when you swallow it, does it feel light? Does it feel uh, spritzy? Does it feel you know heavier? Um, and so tonight we're going to talk about a bit um, of what constitutes that body, how you can uh, emphasize it, de-emphasize it. Uh, talk a little bit of how uh, carbonation plays into that, and uh, one of the 
one of the key uh, factors in uh, the body of the beer is the amount of proteins and uh, beta-glucans that you have uh, from your malt bill. And those are the primary uh Factors, you know, in terms of de- defining that that residual gravity, because if if you've had a good fermentation, mm-hmm. um, most of your sugars can be gone. You're going to have some dextrins left. You're going to have some residual sweetness, and dextrins do give. These are the unfermentable sugars. They they do have some body. I mean, you can tell the difference between diet soda and you know and right. real soda. Okay. Uh, there is there is a body, you know, the, a difference in the sensation of the body of the beer. Let's, but, let's, um, let's let's um, let's hold off on that for a minute. So okay. Uh, so in defining mouthfeel, mouthfeel is more than um, so. Mouthfeel isn't just a, a body or dextrins or proteins. Mouthfeel isn't just carbonation. Mouthfeel isn't just one little thing. It's all those things. Maybe tannins and acids and and proteins right. and carbonation and gases and and all this stuff that. Uh, and sugars and all, uh, or, pH, or even yeah. all that stuff that that adds up, and that all together is really what what mouthfeel is, right? That's right. Okay, all those factors come into play. All right, so let's take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, let's get into kind of the nitty gritty. Uh, you know, how do I get more mouthfeel? How do I get less mouthfeel? What, or you know, or the different you know angles on mouthfeel? How do I control it, and how do I make it all better? Back after this. Brew right. Brew smart. Brew strong. This is Brew Strong. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Fen. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire her up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. The new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kennels, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The The More more Beer beer Deal deal of the day. Day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the More Beer Deal of the Day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. The Brewing Network brings together the winner of the Sam Adams Long Shot Competition and the most awarded homebrewer in history to do battle in the next chapter of The Jamil Show. Can you brew it? 
Every episode, Jamil Zanishev and Mike McDowell lay their reputations on the line to brew your favorite commercial beer and put their results to the test. Perfect match or perfect drain pour. Tune in for the recipes, techniques, and interviews with the pros that answer the question, Can You Brew It? The Jamil Show, Can You Brew It? airs every other Monday on the Brewing Network. White Labs, your source for maltose mowing monsters, announces the White Labs Platinum lineup for 2009. Looking for out-of-the-ordinary yeast to make the best beer possible? The Platinum strains from White Labs are only available for a limited time and make your homebrew stand out. Through February, find Australian Ale, Essex Ale, and Dusseldorf Alt Yeast. March and April, it's Nottingham Ale, Abbey 4, and Mexican Lager Yeast. And May through June, don't miss Premium Bitter Ale, Belgian Wit 2, and Belgian Bastogne Ale Yeast. Keep up with all the great yeasts in the White Labs Platinum Program at whitelabs.com, where you can also join the White Labs Customer Club. Brew with the freshest and most unique yeast with the White Labs 2009 Platinum Strains. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Live. Beer Radio. The Brewing Network. The Brewcasters. If you're just starting, don't be discouraged by all this stuff. It's exactly. so easy. Just throw it yeah. together. Put yeah. some sugar and some water and some yeast in there. Yeah. Network. <laughs> <laughs> Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking mouthfeel. And, you know, I was watching the news the other night, and I saw Lance Armstrong, like, uh, bashing this uh, reporter guy that was giving him a hard time about uh, calling him a cancer and bike racing and all that. And I was thinking, holy crap, I hope he didn't hear this whole nut thing about <laughs> Strong. <laughs> Yeah, you like you know, nailing us to the frickin' wall. Yeah, we we'd probably be, wouldn't do so well with Cheryl Crow then either. <laughs> I'm lost here, Cheryl Crow. Cheryl Crow, yeah. Isn't she nailing Lance? Is that was that the reference you're making? Was yeah, yeah. was till that nothing. Oh, till that nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I know he's not nailing anybody. <laughs> I don't care if he listens. Anyway, <laughs> he's probably a big big time listener. Uh, no time caller. All right, so uh, we're talking mouthfeel, and uh, so so mouthfeel is 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 a variety of of different components. It's not just one thing. It's not like uh, how thick a beer is. That's more related to what body, right? And uh, right. and intertwined with uh, maybe carbon dioxide and, and the amount of carbonation that's in a beer, and uh, also with uh, maybe other uh, the malt bill and uh, acids and and what kind of residual sugars are left if they're simple sugars or complex sugars, uh, right? Uh, you know, depending on how well your fermentation went. Um, and, and, and did we really kind of cover why I'd want more mouthfeel or less mouthfeel? Well, it's it's a component of style. So if you know if you're entering the beer in a competition, um, certain styles uh, like double bock, for instance, you know you're looking for a a good firm mouthfeel, uh, to, you know, to back up the the malt character. Um, for a pilsner, 
or for a, for a Hellas or you know so some lighter beer styles you want to you want to tone down that that body and and um, make the make the mouth feel lighter um, you add a little more carbonation that um, make, it makes a lot of sense yeah so you know the, all that's that's why we're talking about mouthfeel because it is you know it's it's part of entering a beer in competition it's part of a style mm-hmm. and uh, we're gonna hopefully tonight we'll give you a lot of clues on how to manipulate mouthfeel to improve this improve your entry well even if you're brewing your own beer the no known style it's just something you like to drink um, if you have a beer that has you know, too much mouthfeel, it may be overwhelming, too thick, too uh, too syrupy, or too carbonated, or or something like that, right? And right, and that could affect the drinkability. Is that is that right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a mild, for instance, is a very drinkable beer, uh, very light body. Um, but uh, you know, then if you're if you're looking for a low alcohol beer to you know, so session beer. Um, you could brew a mild, but you may say to yourself, you know, this doesn't have the the character, quite the character I'm looking for in a, in my for my session beer. I want some with a little more body. Well, then we can use you know ingredients to build up that body by, while maintaining that that low alcohol level. Um, so you know, yeah, you don't have to use it solely to brew a style. You can use it to help you brew a beer that you prefer. Well, and I find that interesting, um, you know, a, a component of mouthfeel, you know, now that you mentioned, you know, lower alcohol or lower body beers, uh, you know, one of my favorites is uh, Russian River's Pliny the Elder. And that's got mm-hmm. a real low finishing gravity uh, in the single digits, you know, right. uh, two Play-Doh or two and a half Play-Doh or so. And... Um, the interesting thing is it has a, a, a fair amount of mouthfeel, but part of that, I think, comes from the resins of the hops. It's got so much resin in there. The resin actually takes the place of uh, kind of, you know, dextrin. The malt proteins, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I find it, it, it fascinating. And, and if you uh, were to overdo it on the the body, the, the, the proteins, and have a, or dextrins, and have a more, um, a, a thicker body on that from, from the malt, it would be overwhelming. It would be too thick. It wouldn't be quite the session beer that it is currently. Right. It really, if you, if you take a double IPA and you make it all malt, you end up with a barley wine, American barley wine practically a light one but mm-hmm. you know nine percent yeah it's only it's like an american barley wine with all the hopping but you know big difference in the mouthfeel of the two of the two beer styles all right so so what else so that's an example of uh, uh controlling mouthfeel with a uh, high level of hop resins that's going to mm-hmm. increase your mouthfeel, right? And right. Uh, you're mentioning all malt versus, uh, I, I know when they brew Pliny the Elder, they add simple sugars to it, right, to help reduce the amount of body that you're going to have. So it's not overwhelming when you when you have that uh, high gravity of beer. So uh, uh, right. simple sugars. What, what else is going to affect, let's say, uh, I, I guess, body? Uh, let, let's focus on the proteins and the, uh, the, the dextrins. Okay, um, yeah, your malt bill has uh, that you use in the beer has a lot has a lot to do with it. Um, it's American light lager, you know, an adjunct brew made with uh, 
re- refined corn syrup, or uh, you can make uh, classic American pilsner uh, with uh, corn um, corn grits or flake corn. Um, you, by using uh, these adjuncts like corn and rice and refined sugars, you're reducing the total amount of protein in the beer. And that decreases this residual gravity that you that it has. I mean, you can have you can have two beers that have the same finishing gravity, and one that has more protein in it will have a much uh, fuller mouthfeel than the one with less protein. Um, proteins are a big factor. Uh, Beta glucans are another big factor. Um, those are very similar to carbohydrates are actually um, like uh, cellulosis that uh, come from the uh, husk of the of the grain they come from you know they're part of the structure of the kernel that um, it gets broken down during the mash and uh, barley actually has the most beta glucan of any of the cereal grains except that we generally don't use <coughs> Excuse me. We generally don't use unmalted barley um, in our in our mashes. We use some. We use you know half a pound, a pound for stouts and uh, some big beers. But uh, generally, uh, we're using malted barley. And the malting process one of the one of the key purposes of malting is to break down the beta glucans mm. that would make the the mash uh, gummy. It would turn it into dough, and you wouldn't be able to water it. Um, that's why when we when people are brewing oatmeal stouts or brewing uh, wheat beers, uh, or you know brewing other beer styles that have a lot of wheat, oats, um, rye, um, these grains are generally unmalted and generally have their their full complement of beta glucan in them and and high protein levels, um, and so all of that. Uh, protein and beta glucan comes into the into the grain bill, and you know shows up in the finished beer as more body. So, uh, two questions for you. One one is if if you know when people are adding uh, these unmalted grains in order to increase the amount of beta glucan or uh, uh, proteins in in the in the beer, should they you know what about considering uh, an unmalted barley? Would that produce more? Yes, yeah. Unmalted barley uh, will contribute a lot of protein and a lot of beta-glucan and a lot of body to the beer mm-hmm. um, and a lot of foam retention. I mean, the, the, these all these things go hand in hand. So, uh, yeah, you can, you know, if you're looking for good foam, you're looking for more body, a little more mouthfeel, a little, you know, a little thicker character in the beer, then, uh, you know, half a pound or a pound of unmalted barley. Uh, flake barley is is very useful in that regard. Hmm. Better if so get, than than flaked wheat. Yes. Now the the interesting thing with wheat, uh, people talk about how wheat per pound has more protein than barley. Well, that's because you lose about fifteen percent of the weight uh, of the wheat. I mean, or husk. Fifteen. Yeah, husk, is due to the husk. Wheat doesn't have a husk, so pound for pound. There is more protein in that pound of wheat than there is in a pound of uh, barley because 15% of that pound is husk. But more beta glucans in the in the barley. But more beta glucans, yes, correspondingly. Mm-hmm. Um, now wheat has a fair amount, and the fact that we use uh, wheat um, 
and the reason and the fact that we use it on malted uh, is going to put a lot of beta glucan in. In fact, I mean, you know, look at you know baking bread and you know making dough and so on. I mean, wheat has a lot of beta glucan in it, uh, so it's there. You know, that's what gives mm-hmm. the the dough its stretchiness and gumminess. Um, but uh, if you try that, and if you try to if you were to try to mash. Um, unmalted barley or make a whole mash of unmalted wheat all you end up with is porridge i mean it's you know you can't water it it's the it's the malting process that makes um laudering a mash possible mm-hmm. well and the other the other thing uh you had mentioned uh corn and rice and uh what i find fascinating is uh you know using uh malt enzymes uh to convert uh, uh, rice or corn starch, you end up with maltose. You know, you don't end up with uh, corn toast or rice toast. You end up with maltose because it's based right. on the enzymes converting the starch, and the enzymes determine what kind of sugar you end up with. But the the interesting thing is, there's far less uh, protein in those, and there's far less uh, beta glucans, and uh, all also uh, far less uh, uh, flavor as far as at least uh, you know malt flavor. Than right. uh, you would you would get with a uh, barley, right? So that's that's really the primary difference is, um, uh, you know, those flavors and um, the beta glucans. Uh, other than you know the sugars are the same, but but this is right. why uh, rice or corn results in kind of a uh, a lighter, uh, cleaner beer, right? Right. That is exactly right. Barley has a whole host of uh, carbohydrates that the, the malt enzymes break down into maltose and maltotetriose and, and so on, and and large dextrins that you know give barley a characteristic flavor. Uh, corn and rice, you, you know, their their starches uh, break down even if you break them down with um, barley enzymes you know don't won't have those characteristic flavors and they intrinsically don't have the levels of protein and beta glucan in them that that barley does so yeah that's why you get a completely different character to the beer it's not going to taste you know cidery it's not going to taste um um thin because it's not you're not fermenting um, sucrose, you're not fermenting glucose and fructose in high proportions that you would be if you're using table sugar or refined corn syrup that's you know made as a sweetener. Um, when you add uh, barley and rice or rice and corn to the mash, the barley enzymes are going to convert those starches to maltose. So. Um, w- all right, so lost my train. No, 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 but 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 I find that uh, find that fascinating. So, uh, you know, the, if if you're looking for uh, you know less mouthfeel, uh, you could go you could go along the lines of corn or rice. Uh, you know, if you're looking for uh, more mouthfeel, of course, you want to exclude those. Now, now, what about? Uh, are there any other things we should? Uh, concern ourselves with on uh, proteins or uh, you know those body forming you know dextrins and things like that well there are a couple especially malts that are useful for mouthfeel um, you know care pills is the is the big one you know that stand that everybody knows mm-hmm. um, that's a that's a malt that is specially uh, malted to create a high level of dextrins and uh, and and uh, 
break down its beta-glucans and so on in order to contribute more mouthfeel uh, from that malt than other specialty malts. It's rather unique. You also find um, carafoam from um, uh, Weirman, yes, from Weirman malting in, in Germany, uh, a similar uh, kind of malt uh, that are that can be used for foam or mouthfeel. Um, let's see. I was also going to say that dextrins are one aspect. Beta glucans, proteins. There's something else. Ah, you're, you're, the train has left the station for both of us, Jamil. <laughs> That's all right. And so, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, I've always believed that, you know, a lot of those uh, grains are, are uh, developed for breweries that uh, can't control, uh, you know, can't adjust mash temperature. You know, a lot of uh, commercial breweries are right. designed oh, yes. for a specific mash temperature. Right, they mash want regime, more, that was the other that was the other aspect. they want more body or whatever they can use these these grains, but you know those can also be useful uh in a homebrew setting as well where uh you can use it to easily adjust uh you know the the body or the the head stand of of a given beer so yeah. uh, what is it about uh mash uh, profile that that uh, uh is going to affect body or uh, mouthfeel i'm sorry yeah, well, you know your your mash profile, especially your conversion rest, you know your starch conversion rest. You can drive the mash um, fermentability by mashing at uh, lower temperatures or higher temperatures. Higher temperatures are going to leave more dextrins in 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 the mash, in in the wort, and you will end end up with a higher mouthfeel in that beer than one that you had mashed to lower temperatures, made that wort more fermentable. And uh, that would, you know, ferment more completely and, and become a thinner uh, body beer. Um, you can also add to that by um, the kind of malt that you use. Um, there are well-modified malts, you know, American two-row. Um, there are less malt- modified malts like uh, Continental two-row, you know, um, Belgian pills, German pilsner malt. Um, these malts haven't been modified as much during the malting process. That is, during the malting process, the beta-glucans and proteins have been broken down less than a highly modified malt like American Turo. And so uh, a single temperature infusion mash will be, you know, done the same way, same grain, you know, same weight of malt the uh, less modified malt would have more body than the highly modified malt. Um, and so you, that's another factor that you can play with uh, in driving mouthfeel. Well, and one thing you pointed out that I, that I never realized, that you pointed out uh, some shows ago, was that uh, concentrated boils can affect uh, body oh, and yeah. mouthfeel, right? That's right. Your Maillard reactions... Um, Maillard reactions to refresh everybody are the chemical combination of a protein or amino acid and a sugar. So, uh, you know, the the kinds of Maillards there's you know absolutely hundreds of them that that are formed during the boil. Uh, that the 
the profile of Maillards that are produced depend on the concentration of sugars and the concentration of proteins and the different you know species of each that are present. So, again, driving your mash profile, driving your malt bill, and your boiling gravity, um, all those things will, will drive the type of Maillards that you produce, and those Maillards you know, have... Uh, have a body to them you they have um, they don't have well they have particular tastes they have particular aromas and they also have um, molecular weight and so that you know you can influence the body of the beer by by the those reactions in the boil so all right so we, we've talked about the mash and we, we've talked about the boil and, and concentrated boil and all that um, hey we're we- done <laughs> well, why don't we take a, a short break? And when we do, I want to kind of get into, um, uh, you know, we talked about carbonation and pH and things like that. All those things that people, I don't think, uh, associate uh, yes. with mouthfeel, but yet are, are, are quite important, like, like the odd thing about uh, hop resins. All right, so yeah. we'll take a quick break and back after this. Your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. Attention homebrew shop owners at Fermentap. They know you're tired of buying the same old gear that everyone else has. That's why Fermentap offers the newest and most cutting-edge brewing equipment known to man. Since 1998, Fermentap has been leading the fight against the boring and mundane by offering strange, unique, and just plain smart equipment. Like their stainless domed false bottoms. Never deal with the floating plastic hassle of other false bottoms again. And since they're made from stainless steel, they'll last a lifetime. Fermentap's line of copper Wort chillers are the best on the market, designed to cool your wort faster and more efficiently than other immersion chillers. They actually invented the equipment to make these chillers not only work great, but look great too. How about a fantastic line of ingredients, including vanilla beans, sorghum extract, blue agave extract, hot bitterness extract, unique wine yeasts, green coffee beans, sake kits, all stuff you can't find anywhere else. Fermentap carries all the standard products and equipment you need as well, such as all-grain systems, stainless hardware, kettles, carbonation stones, you name it, they've got it. Fermentap's entire line of products has been helping retail shops meet the demands of their customers for nearly 10 years, and they want to help you too. For more information, see them on the web at fermentap.com or call Jason at 1-800-942-2750. Fermentap, better beer through innovation. The Brewing Network brings together the winner of the Sam Adams Long Shot Competition and the most awarded homebrewer in history to do battle in the next chapter of The Jamil Show. Can you brew it? Every episode, Jamil Zanishev and Mike McDowell lay their reputations on the line to brew your favorite commercial beer and put their results to the test. Perfect match or perfect drain pour. Tune in for the recipes, techniques, and interviews with the pros that answer the question, Can You Brew It? The Jamil Show, Can You Brew It? airs every other Monday on the Brewing Network. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the next meeting. Come on, let's get out of here. 
I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. I tell you, we got the best bumper uh, bits in the business. (laughs) It's quality stuff. As is Brew Strong. That's right. We... We are the epitome of quality. <laughs> We're the epitome of something. Oh, a perfect follow-up to that. <laughs> the epitome of quality. <laughs> yeah. Furball. <laughs> and you can see John and I in our furballs at the Great American Beer Festival, Denver, Colorado. That's right. Hey, Looking forward to that to this year. Well, and John's going to be presenting also at the uh, uh, 2009 National uh, Homebrew Conference in Oakland, California, coming up in June. And uh, uh, that's going to be a great one. It, it's going to be great. And well, every uh, year is great, but I mean, you know, they always get better. Every I, year, I, I think this one's going to be incredible. There's a, a, a BN anniversary party that's happening on the Wednesday before. So if you get a chance, you want to come out for this one. And, uh, uh, you know, John Palmer will be there. I'll be there. And uh, Tasty will be there. Chad will be there. Justin will be there. And not to mention, uh, you know, a number of great luminaries in the brewing industry. Uh, we got a all-star lineup in uh, in the sessions. We've got the club night. We've got the pro brewers night. Chad's lining up like 50 of the greatest Breweries for Pro Brewers Night, you're going to be stunned. Giant yeah. Hall, it's all free. You know, when you sign up for the conference and you pay for the conference, you get this Pro Brewers Night for free, and it's going to be just incredible. It's going to be the best one ever done. It's at the Oakland Marriott, so it's not at some cheap, dumpy hotel. It's at a high end hotel. There's a BART station right near there, so you're seven minutes away from downtown San Francisco to uh, uh, try out the beers there. And, uh, uh, you know, look for John and I. We'll be there. We'll be signing books. We'll be uh, kissing babies. We'll be going out for you with a uh, for a pint of beer. You you buy, we That's drink. Right. That's right. Uh, we're like monkeys that way. <laughs> we'll even answer a couple questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're, you know, you got questions for John or myself. Uh, we're glad to help you. Uh, hopefully, uh, brew strong. Make better beer, huh? 
That's right. Uh, all right. So we were talking about how uh, you know mouthfeel, uh, you know, is affected by body, by proteins, uh, dextrins, and different malts you might use or unmalted grains for that matter, and uh, mash temperature. So, you know, what is does, the other side of the coin? Yeah, right? yeah. How, how does uh, you know, pH and uh, carbonation and uh, whatever else uh, fall into? Uh, uh, mouthfeel. Yeah, uh, it's that's a real good, real good point. Um, pH uh, is is a strong factor. I mean, you look at two styles: uh, lambics, very acidic, uh, to um, well, let's say American amber ale um, or uh, or English bitter, where generally the pH is a little higher on those mashes. Uh, the a higher pH um, in the beer results in um, a more rounded uh, flavor coming out. Um, if it goes overboard, then you can get some you know tannic bitterness going on. But in general, um, a little higher pH in the beer makes the beer seem a little more rounded. A lower pH in the beer makes it seem a little sharper. And uh, so you can have a, an acidic beer that you know very very palate cleansing, very fr- refreshing. Or you can have a uh, you know a higher pH beer that's uh, softer on the palate. So not just flavor, but uh, uh, you know pH can affect uh, you know slickness on the palate or right. a sharpness on the palate. Uh, you know can combine with the CO two to kind of provide a acidic bite to the mm-hmm. palate. Kind of yeah, uh, Tasty's indicating back of the. Uh, Back of the mouth on the on the lower sides. If you were to reach right. back and follow your jawbone, your lower jawbone to the back, and then kind of in on that soft tissue there, uh, you kind of get that puckering that kind of pulls down at that area. That's yeah. uh, you know from from an acidic tart uh, beer. So pH can affect that, and that's that's mouthfeel. Especially, I, I would say that's one of the capital mouthfeel things where it kind of pulls at the muscles of your mouth. Actually, it's making your mouth your your whole mouth work yeah double uh, ipa so is a good example so of this of this effect um you know applying to the elder very very you know clean aftertaste you know you it's like you said it's a session beer it's one you can drink a whole pint of very bitter a lot of hop resin in it um but a uh less body um lighter mouth feel in that beer and it has a you know a lower pH you know it that results in a in a, a crispness you know when you finish that beer the hop resin doesn't linger on your tongue it it goes away if you were to brew um, another you know a double IPA or uh, just say let's say a regular IPA um, and brew that with uh, uh, higher bicarbonate water, a little higher pH. You know, you don't have the acidity to help wash those tannins away, and you're going to end up with more of a coating effect in the mouth. Uh, and you know that it's that bitterness is really going to linger rather than uh, being cleared away. And that's going to be another real strong component of mouthfeel. Okay, and 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 what else do we have for mouthfeel? What what other components of uh, are there that that we need to be concerned about? Well, I guess the final one is probably carbonation, mm-hmm. um, carbonation levels, and uh, you and Tasty are, are 
some of the experts on that, you know, and uh, driving carbonation levels and how that affects, you know, uh, the entering a beer in competition and how it, how it affects your, you know, the way you perceive the beer in judging. Um, you've talked about the, some of that, that in the past on some of our shows. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like to do is uh, artificially carbonate my beers because I have more control over it. And uh, I will hook up a, a beer to a low level of gas and uh, I'll let that condition over the, uh, a period of time and um, you know, taste it every, every day or two. And you get to a point where, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's tasting a little undercarbonated and maybe a little uh, uh, full and sweet and then, um, or, you know, maybe flaccid and sweet. And you get to a point where it's just perfect and you get past that point uh, and it becomes kind of sharp and acidic and then it kind of seems almost like it thins out again. Um, yeah. Where carbonation is a, a double-edged sword, you you need carbonate without carbonation. Uh, uh, Sam Adams, uh, Boston Beer Company, uh, they shipped out uh, a couple of bottles of their chocolate Bach to the people who oh, helped yeah. out with their long shot competition. That's coming up in uh, uh, April of uh, of this year, uh, and uh, they they very generously sent out a couple of bottles of the chocolate box and some nice glasses to to drink them with. Unfortunately, uh, one of mine was like half full when when it got there, and the box is full of liquid, and uh, so all the carbonation was gone from that. And I I was like, well, you know, let me take a little taste before I pour it out, or you know, toss the the, the empty bottle. And without carbonation, it was kind of thin and uh, and and a little insipid. And I know that's not what Sam Adams or Boston Beer Company brews. So uh, uh, you know, the other bottle that was fully capped and carbonated, uh, you know, that was that was great, an awesome beer. And uh, you know, carbonation plays a huge role in that. And it was mouthfeel that uh, that really uh, you know spoke to that, as well as uh, you know carbonation affecting kind of the overall acid balance, like we're talking with pH. So, uh, you know, uh, every beer has its perfect carbonation level. That's there's right. a point where it's too much, and there's a point where it's too little. There's nothing really. There's a acceptable range, I guess, but it's a really narrow range, and and you know mm-hmm. something that makes a beer perfect, and uh, I think that affects mouthfeel as, as well as a lot of other aspects. So the thing yeah. I like to do is. Um, you know, just uh, work my way through that range until I find exactly what it should be. That's a real good point. Okay. Uh, what else do we have to cover on uh, mouthfeel? Well, do we have any reader mail? Uh, well, well, we got we we got listeners live in the chat. If you're uh, uh, interested in listening live, you go to thebrewingnetwork.com, and there's a chance. Uh, uh, you go to the front page; it'll tell you what shows are are going to be live. Uh, you know, Sunday session, Jamel show, Brew Strong, uh, uh, and and when you can listen to those live. And uh, also, there's a, a button there called chat. You go there. You you don't need a password or anything. Just uh, type in some name to use on the screen, and uh, you get in. In there with like-minded individuals, and you can uh, chat while the show's going on, discuss what we're talking about, and uh, ask questions of us. And uh, you know, this isn't just a podcast; this is actually live radio that we do, and uh, you can actually participate. So that's one of the one of the great things about the Brewing Network. Uh, Justin, what do we got? 
All right, a couple questions from the chat room today. Uh, one came through about mash temperatures and mouthfeel. Uh, the person asked, "What would uh, would you say that you maximize mouthfeel controlled by a mash temp at 158 to 159?" Uh, in general, yeah. Um, you. But the higher you, you the mash go, temp, the yeah. more long chain dextrins you're ending up with. Yeah, I, the, there's there's quite a bit of room for playing around with that. I mean, I, I guess you really can't say that it's, you know 158, 159 is the maximum. Um, Once 160, 162 will also generate a lot a lot of dextrins. Um, you know, you're going to be deactivating your beta amylase pretty quickly at those temperatures. So. Um, you'll be generating more dextrins than you would at 158. Now, whether you know you would obtain complete conversion, you know, depending on your mass, uh, it's going to depend on your malt bill and a lot of other factors. So, kind of, I, I guess if the the question, you know, maximum at 158, 159. I was going to say yes, but maybe the better answer is uh, no. That's not the maximum, but that's the right ballpark. That's close. Well, what about uh, protein rests? How, how do protein rests affect Oh, uh, yeah, good question. Um, protein rests, well, with today's highly modified malts, um, a protein rest is really going to start breaking down uh, you know, any uh, some of the medium-sized proteins that you want for mouthfeel. Um, and, I mean, you can do some protein rest and, you know, get an improvement in uh, soluble protein and, and then get an improvement in mouthfeel and a little improvement in foam. But it's, uh, it's a very uh, short slope. I mean, it's, there's a, you know, you get a benefit for a short period of time, you know, 10 minutes, and then you really got to start uh, ramping it up and moving out of the protein rest range because if you leave it too long, and I'm talking you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes in a protein rest with today's malts, you're going to degrade those proteins down to uh, amino acids, you know, very small uh, peptides that, you know, is great for, for yeast nutrition, but it's going to be uh, very, uh, a very thin beer. Mm-hmm. And, and what about uh, also a beta-glucan rest? That's, you know, not beta- a lot of people do it, but uh, that's in there too, right? Right. Uh, a beta-glucan rest um, is really only useful when you're uh, mashing um, unmalted adjuncts like uh, rye, oats, and, and wheat, uh, and barley. Um, and, you know, you use it to enhance lauderability. Um, those, be- those beta-glucans are going to become soluble uh, in the wort uh, when you take it up to conversion temperatures, you know, 150 and above. Those, are, those beta-glucans that are, are present in the, in the malted barley are going to solubilize and they're going to come into solution and you'll have all the mouthfeel that you could want. A, beta- a beta-glucan rest is, is breaking those down and it's to enhance lauderability. You really don't, you don't uh, do a beta-glucan rest to enhance body. You're doing it to decrease body. All right. Another question that came through is, uh, how would you adjust for maltodextrin added to extract beers? Uh, is there a, a formula to find out how much to use, or, or is that all trial and error? Uh, I'd say trial and error. Just got to do it. And even Bruce Strong can't help you there. Quarter ounce. No, four ounces. Quarter pound. What? 
Yeah. That's how much that, to add? Quarter pound. Oh, it's good. That's a good useful amount. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just in ballpark, yeah. Okay. You can't go wrong with a quarter pound while the dextrin. All right. Yeah, extra beer. Another question came through. Uh, what about small beers? Like, uh, this is a, a pH question, I think. Uh, small beers like milds and bitters, you know, beers that are around 1040, he says. He says these tend to be watery if the mash isn't right. How does the pH affect the mouthfeel for smaller beers? Um, well, yeah, the, the, if the mash pH is too high, then uh, it's, gonna, it's not going to have a bright character to it. Um, and you're going, especially in the small beer, you're going to want you're going to want a brighter character to the beer um, to give it you know some flavor. If uh, that pH goes too high, if you're brewing with um, you know high bicarbonate or high alkaline water uh, with these uh, small light beers, uh, a mild is is actually a mild with its darker color is actually good for brewing with um, moderate to highly alkaline water because the two balance out and you get the proper pH. If the pH, you know, if you got, if the pH does go too high, that's when you get this, particularly get the watery uh, character because the the malt character um, isn't being supported by the, uh, the pH and it does, it does, the beer doesn't taste bright. Well, you can also extract uh, tannins, uh, things like that as well uh, in a high pH beer. Uh, yeah, especially in a small beer, there's a lot more danger of that when when uh, when mashing a small a small beer uh, from the second tan, running tannin extractions and things like that. Um, definitely, definitely makes a big difference. And what I find on on, on brewing those small beers is uh, you know use especially grains and non fermentable uh, sugars and uh, uh, you know high mash temperatures in order to kind of bring that into uh, into uh, control, and uh, while a lot of uh, British beers may be brewed with simple sugars, I tend to avoid them in the small beers, uh, just so I can gain more of the proteins, more of the dextrins that, uh, uh, and more of the flavors from the from the malt that uh, kind of fill out and enrich those beers. Yeah, uh, give it, some character. Yeah, it may not be quite exactly the same as a commercial brewer is doing them in in Britain. But uh, you'd be surprised at uh, what a, a big difference it makes in the, the character of the beer. Uh, one of the, the big tips on brewing small beers is uh, don't push for high efficiency. So if, you, if you're if you hitting, uh, you know, 80% efficiency or so, uh, really not that great for small beers. On small beers, you know, dial it back. Go for the lower efficiency. I, I shoot for about uh, 70%. Um, and I, I've known people that are, are getting higher percentages of efficiency, and on their small beers are kind of harsh and thin. And uh, I think that's that's part of the part of the issue there. Jimmy, that, that brings up a good question in my mind. You know, how does a brewer shoot for a smaller efficiency, a lower efficiency? How do how do they do that? Uh, you know, a variety of things. Uh, you know, you don't really want to go with a lower efficiency based on, uh, you know, adjusting your pH or, or things like that. But what I find is, um, you know, the crush and, uh, you know, sparge rate uh, both play a big role in uh, level of uh, efficiency. Right. So a little, a little coarser crush mm-hmm. um, and so, uh, less sparging. Uh-huh. uh-huh. You know, to, to and do you do you bump up the malt bill? Then you know the, the pounds yes. of malt used. Right. So you'll increase the uh, base malt amounts, 
to make up for the lower efficiency, but not the specialty malt amounts. So when you're adjusting for efficiency, you just only adjust your, your base malt amounts generally. If you're adjusting for the volume of beer that you're making, you adjust every ingredient, um, all your malts, your specialty grains, etc., your hops, your yeast, yeah. everything gets adjusted. So, Five-gallon to ten-gallon batch right. sort of thing. Yeah, you adjust everything. If you're just trying to dial in your... Um, your uh, five-gallon batch to match, you know, the efficiency that we do on the show, which is seventy percent and six gallons at the end of the boil. Um, then uh, you would just adjust your base malt grains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, by increasing the base malt and using the same you know water to grist ratio, you're getting more of a first runnings into the pot mm-hmm. than and with less barging necessary mm-hmm. to get your your boil volume. Right. Right. All right, last question came through. Uh, it's kind of a clarification. Um, he says, wants to know, so can you have a, a very dextrinous beer that's not too sweet, mm-hmm. but it feels thick, and as a result, the final gravity will be higher? Yes, okay. absolutely. And here's one of the things that uh, uh, Tasty and I were talking about was was uh, you can have a beer that finishes at a high, let's, let's say you have something that finishes at uh, 4 Play-Doh or 5 Play-Doh, you know, 10, 16 to, uh, you know, 10, 20 in that range, and it's not sweet at all. Yet you have some uh, beers that'll finish, uh, you know, in the single digits, you know, 10, 08, you know, 2 Play-Doh or so, and they, t- they taste sweet. Now, part of that is, you know, an alcohol sweetness. Part of that is... Um, the the types of sugars that are left over. Now, if the sugars that are left over after fermentation, let's say you don't have, let's say you have a great fermentation, and you ferment out all the simple sugars and all the sugars that it's possible for the yeast to to ferment. The simple sugars taste sweet. The long chain sugars really don't taste that sweet, and they add a lot of a lot of body. These dextrins, right? You fermented out all the simple sugars, you end up with a, 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 since you have a lot of long chain sugars, a lot of body, and not very sweet, and uh, you end up with a finishing gravity like four Play-Doh. Let's say you have another beer where, you know, there was a high starting gravity, it fermented down, but, you know, it didn't quite ferment out all the simple sugars, but it's gotten down to, you know, two Play-Doh. So it's much, uh, you know, lower gravity, finishing gravity. Um, but those simple sugars are very sweet. You know, the sucrose, the fructose, the, the, the glucose, uh, you know, all very sweet sugars. You'll, it'll taste sweet, but it's very thin. So, uh, you know, that's how you can end up with a, you know, a thinner beer that's sweeter, and you can end up with thicker beer that, you know, is not sweet at all. It can taste actually very dry. In those thicker beers, so it's a, it's kind of an overall balancing act, and, and one thing to to really be uh, cognizant of. Okay, and that's it from the chat room. It's all yours, guys. Okay, did you have anything to add on that 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 last uh, point there, John? No, no, I think that was well stated. Okay. okay. All right, so uh, let me kind of recap. Uh, mouthfeel is really a, a a number of of things. It's it's not just uh, you know one aspect of a beer. It's actually built up from the body, the proteins, the dextrins. Um, it's built up from carbonation, pH, all these things. Uh, hop resins even have an right. impact on uh, mouthfeel. Why would you want mouthfeel? Well, uh, like John uh, so eloquently stated, if you're uh, looking at some 
something like a doppelbach you need more mouthfeel to to beat a style or uh you know if you're looking at something like a uh, berliner vice you want a uh, very little mouthfeel uh you know that could be the style or just if you're trying to design your own beer you might want to you know adjust up or down to to you know um, come with a come up with the ideal uh profile the things that affect mouthfeel that, that you can control, uh, you know, the, the malts that you use, uh, whether the grains are malted or unmalted, uh, specialty grains, things like that. You're going to add uh, more um, beta-glucans, proteins, things like that, uh, especially if you use unmalted barley. That actually uh, has the most. If you use something like corn or rice, you know, protein levels are, are much lower in there, and uh, you're going to end up with much less. Uh, let's see. Uh, mash temperature makes a big, big difference. Of course, uh, you can go with low mash temperatures. If you if you get down into beta glucan rest and protein rest, you're actually going to probably hurt mouthfeel and, and head retention and things like that. So uh, you know, stick to the higher temperatures. Something around 160 Fahrenheit might be your you know golden area. Just, just depends whether that truly maximizes it or not. But that's kind of around the top of the range. Um, uh, same thing goes with uh, the pH. pH will affect your your uh, your overall mouthfeel. Uh, so you need to adjust your water uh, appropriately for you know the grain bill that you're doing. Uh, you can actually get a, a puckering sensation or a tannic sensation from uh, improper C- pH, and that's a, of course a affect mouthfeel. And of course, carbonation uh, depends on the style, depends on the uh, residual, the body in the in the beer, and all that, and and how carbonation plays a part in accentuating that or or uh, going overboard one way or another, and. Uh, Carbonation, you know, dial it in uh, appropriately for style is probably you know good if if you don't have a way of uh, you know forced carbonating and and just experiencing it going up from from A to Z. That's right. All right, so uh, I think that's a, a pretty good education on mouthfeel. Yeah, good show. I think so as well. And if you're listening live, the next show up is on uh, DMS dimethyl sulfide. And uh, why it why it matters to you and your brewing and how to control it, how to get rid of it, uh, how to enjoy it, whatever it might be. Brew strong, brew strong, everybody.